This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Revelation chapter 2, as we continue our study, I want you to look with me in verse number 22, and, and I will read verse 22 and 23 together. This is in reference to where we left off last Wednesday night about a certain woman in the church that was the church of Thyatira that was causing an enormous amount of trouble and problems uh, for the early Christians. And uh, Jesus categorized her as Jezebel. And uh, in fact, he even called her that. Jesus, by the way, he did not pull any punches when it was necessary to call people out. Sometimes he called people serpents. Sometimes he called them foxes. Uh, a various list of things Jesus himself referred to, uh, to people that uh, were causing havoc in the church, or very disruptive people, uh, leading people astray. And uh, he, Jesus did that quite often. So in reference to this particular woman who was creating all of this trouble in the early church, uh, Jesus labeled her as Jezebel. She was a self-proclaimed prophetess. And the Lord said that she was leading uh, his servants astray, causing them to commit fornication and to eat things that had been sacrificed to idols. So this is where we're going to pick up tonight, and I want to start with verse 22. And so in verse 22, Jesus said, Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except, now this is a word now, that you would probably be interested in to underline in your Bible, except they repent of their deeds. And then verse number 23, and I will kill her children with death and all the churches. Remember now, we're talking about the seven churches that are in Asia, Asia Minor. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. All right, so when, when you read verse number 22, uh, there, there are three times in verse 22 and 23 that Jesus uses the words, I will. And I think they're significant to notice in verse number 22, I will. And then in verse 23, he said, I will. Also again, in verse number 23 at the latter part, he said, I will. These three times he uses those particular words. And so what the Lord Jesus is saying is that he is very, very firm in his proclamation, his declaration of judgment. And as you know, the Lord was very serious about following him, obeying him, keeping his words. And he was very stern with the repercussions if we chose not to do that in our life. And so let me say this about God's judgment. His, his judgment is not always disciplinary. We all know what that means, and we know that there is a consequence 
for open rebellion and open sin. His, his judgments are associated with discipline. But not only are his judgments disciplinary, but exemplary as well. And that means they are given to us as great warnings. His judgments are given to us as great warnings. And when you read this part, in verse 22, the latter part, except they repent, the truth, the spiritual truth that we need to get out of this verse is that the Lord Jesus, even though his judgments are sure and uh, they are associated with discipline and warnings, he is always long-suffering. He is merciful. And so he is patient in judgment. He is saying it is coming, and the provision for that is, he says, except you're going to reap serious repercussions from this if you don't repent, except they repent of their deeds in verse number 22. Now, there are a couple of scriptures that I've associated with this, and I want you to see this in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse number 20. And the Bible says, Them that sin rebuke before all, that others also may fear. And one passage in the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse number 23. Thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself, and I will be known in the eyes of many nations, and they shall know that I am the Lord. And uh, God, uh, through the Lord Jesus, is very serious about his word and about the choices that we make. Verse number 23, let's go back now to Revelation 2, verse 23, and I will kill her children with death. For the wages of sin is death. We're very familiar with that passage. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. Now, let me mention a couple of things that revolve around verse number 23. First of all, salvation is always according to faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So salvation is always a faith, but judgment is always according to works. Try to remember that truth. Salvation is always a faith, but judgment is always concerning or revolving around our works. And we have to remember this, that the Lord is definitely patient when it comes to us and judgment. He's perfect in judgment. Now, because I took a little extra time tonight to tell you this missionary story that's happening before our eyes associated with our church, I was going to read Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 16. I want you to make a footnote of that. I'm not going to have time tonight. I don't want to take time to read all of those scriptures, but the thought connecting with this is that the Lord is perfect in judgment. And so let me just make an, a comment or two about that. And that is this. All of us know that God is omniscient. That means he knows everything. He knows perfectly well Everything that we do, 
there are no secrets to him. The Bible says that the very hairs on our head is numbered. He knows everything about us. There, we cannot conceal anything from him. And only he, only he can search the heart with truth. He knows our motives. He knows our actions. And because he knows our motives and he knows our actions, only he can make a perfect judgment. A lot of times we're guilty of trying to judge one another, trying to figure one another out and say, well, he's doing this because of that or she's doing this because of that. And, and we're prone to make assessments and judgments. I don't think he should have said that. I don't think she should have done that. We're very opinionated. But the Lord Jesus is not opinionated. He sees it all. And he searches the heart with truth. And not only does he search the heart with truth, but his judgment around the truth is perfect. Nothing's out of sort. It will always be just. And when I thought about that, there was a scripture that I jotted down. It comes out of the Old Testament in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse number 3. And this is what the word says. Talk no more, so exceeding proudly. Let, er let not arrogancy come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge. And by him, actions are weighed. That's a perfect assortment in wording how God's judgment is pure and perfect and just. All right, now let's get back to Revelation chapter 2 and look at verse number 24. The Lord says, But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine and which have not known the depths of Satan. That's, that's pretty important. We, we read previously uh, where Satan's seat was, where Satan's throne was, his place of operation. Here, the Bible talks about the depths of Satan as they speak, I will put upon you none of the burden. Now, the church at Thyatira had a, by the way, you need to know this, it had a very brief existence. Out of the seven churches that John is writing about, Jesus is speaking about, this one particularly had a very brief existence. In fact, it went down with the city when it was captured by the enemy. Very short time span. And, and the problem was this, that these people in the church of Thyatira, they did not have the will, the fortitude, the stamina to withstand all the evil that was revolving around them. Going back to the uh, perditions of this self-proclaimed prophetess uh, Jezebel. And so the depths of Satan here, uh, there was a group called the Ophrites. You heard of the... Hittites, the Moabites, the Perizzites, 
there was a group called the Ophrites, and they actually worshipped Satan. When I was in that home yesterday, I was startled by the fact that these were two very innocent who believed in what they were doing to be real uh, worshipers of a false man called Krishna. They worshipped him. They prayed to him. It's sad, but people all over the world have gods of all sorts that they bow down to and worship. Something interesting about this particular group who worshipped Satan, and that's why Jesus is using this phrase, they had sunk to the depths of Satan. Uh, these particular people, uh, they, they were possessed, they were oppressed, everything about them they were associated with with witchcraft and idolatry. There was so much of this going on all around them that those who were part of this early church, they didn't have the will or the fortitude, the stamina to resist it all. Now, the message to the first three churches, again, there's seven, but the message to the first three churches was simply to hear what the Spirit saith. But when we get into the message to the uh, church number four, five, six, and seven, it was a little bit beyond just hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. From church number four to seven, it was not only to hear what the Spirit saith, but to overcome. That was the challenge. That was a presentation of these uh, latter churches. Now, here's something that I want you. This is historic information here that I'm giving you now, but it's important, I think, in the study. Thyatira covers a period of time known as the Dark Ages. You have heard in your Bible study uh, since you've been saved, especially if you have the book that I have recommended from time to time, Fox's Books of Martyrs. If you have that book, you are familiar with the term Dark Ages, the medieval times. By the way, the Dark Ages, I think we're still living in them. Right now, today, we're in Dark Ages. Never before have any of us lived to see the depths of Satan that we have plunged into today. There was a man named Popery, and he was in power. He was as bad as Nero. And he had under his rule every, every true thought that was in the doctrine of the early church, every ounce of truth and doctrine that was being preached and taught, he had denied, he had forbidden, and uh, he had such a, a huge pull over the people that even uh, scriptures, parchments, things that were of the truth and testimony, uh, he had worked in such a way that it was even fading from the people's minds. It's sort of like this. Have you ever wondered when we teach and we preach on the children of Israel and, and their journey through the desert and so forth, and we find them being rescued and delivered by God and God doing all kinds of wonderful things for them. And then you find a place 
where Moses is up getting the Ten Commandments and the people are down below dancing naked around a golden calf. Have you ever wondered how in the world, and Aaron of all people, Moses' brother, building the golden calf, how in the world, how could Aaron get to such a place where he would do this? His brother communing with God. And after every trouble and trial that God brought them from, Aaron was with Moses as the plagues were released upon Egypt. Has it ever crossed your mind? How in the world does that happen? Somebody who is so close to God getting all of a sudden so far away from him. That's unbelievable. But that's how these early Christians were under the rule of this particular tyrant. And he was constantly shouting out Christ, trying to dissolve him and his his teachings, his doctrines. And, And by this point, Rome had completely taken over the reins of all of the religion on the earth. There were very, very, very few holdouts. In the word, it's referred to as remnants. And by the way, God has always had a remnant. He's always had a handful of faithfuls. They were, there were a couple of people, and again, I realize I'm giving you some history tonight, but the Albigenes and the Waldenese, they lived in the 13th century. These particular people lived out their faith. They refused to compromise. Uh, they preserved all the great teachings and the doctrines of the word. And they were the ones who refused to stoop down to the depths of Satan. They were the holdouts. Multitudes of professing Christians had rolled over to these derelicts and these people who were perverting the gospel. And apathy had crept into the church in astounding ways. But here for these particular ones, those that were faithful, the Lord gave them assurance that he he knew things were bad. He knew things were difficult, but he was not going to place any, any burdensome stone upon them that was above their ability to endure. And likewise to you and me, God won't do that to us either. He knows where our breaking point is. He knows where our limitations are. His promises are true and sufficient. His grace is sufficient for every trial and every need. All right, having said all of that, let's look quickly at verse 25. But that which ye have already hold fast till I come. And so the Lord was telling them to hold fast, refuse to compromise. He said, till I come. That's another reassuring promise. Jesus has declared over and over in his word that he is coming again. And that's the message to you and I. We've got to hold fast. We've got to stand fast as well. And here's the thing. We have to always remind ourselves that this world is not our home. We're just passing through. We're pilgrims. We know where our homeland is. And I will tell you that if Jesus was hated in this day, as he was in his day, but if he was hated in this, his day, this day, that we're talking about here, you can imagine how much he is hated today as well. They will hate you and I for being Christians. 
And so if we keep our minds on this world and our eyes on this world, it's enough to discourage any one of us. We have to keep our eyes on the Lord. All right, verse 26. We'll see if we can round this out. In verse 26, And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. Remember this as Christians, we overcome by faith and not by works. We overcome by faith and not by efforts. And verse 26 teaches us that it's not enough to simply deny the world's system and its governments, but in addition, we have to follow and heed and obey the works and the words of Jesus until the very end. And by the way, that defies the one world church, which by the way is here. All right, verse 27. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. This is talking about, this is a reference to the millennial reign of Christ. And I want to give you Psalms 2 verse 9 here as we get into this. We'll get those fellows back there to pull that scripture up. It says, thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. This is what this is talking about. Thou shalt dash them in the pieces uh, like a potter's vessel. In verse 28, quickly, and I will give him the morning star. This was, uh, this was so beautiful when, when I got to this in my study. Uh, if you don't know, the morning star is Jesus. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star, the fairest of 10,000, as the songwriter says. Look at Revelation 22, verse number 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify unto you these things. In the churches, I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. Isn't that precious? One more scripture here, and we'll close out chapter 2. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. You know, we've got to keep our hearts open in order to listen. It's not talking necessarily about physical ears, but our heart. We have to keep our heart open to the wooing, the beckoning, the leading, the directing, the guiding, the speaking of the Holy Spirit. Well, chapter 2. Next week, Lord willing, we'll get into chapter 3. It's been a great study. Amen. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.